Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now my wife, Lissy in the front row, and I, we started dating during college. Relationships take time, and we dated during a time in our life when we were really, really busy. We tried studying together. The key word there is tried. I wasn't very good about studying. I'm super distracting as a study partner. So during college, it made sense that we pick a couple recurring things. Breakfast on Tuesdays, a jog on Wednesdays, date night on Fridays, a few habits for our relationship. And for us, habits gave us permission to focus on our schoolwork, and look forward to the next time we'd see each other. Now these habits have changed over the years to adapt to things like seminary, work responsibilities, dentist appointments, and the like. If something's not working, we just talk about it. Make a change, done. This week, we'll go to the gym on Thursday, done. So I've asked myself, 
Why isn't it always this straightforward with my time with God? One thing's clear. If we want to cultivate a relationship, if we want our relationship with God to grow and deepen, it takes time. But not time as in one day we'll sort it out. Time as in quality time, intentional time, time set aside, just like in any relationship. Sometimes my spiritual habits become cumbersome and get put on the back burner. Sometimes I fall into spiritual ruts. Now, what do I mean by spiritual ruts and prayer ruts? Lifeless routines, boring patterns, praying the same way day in and day out, like a hamster wheel, forever spinning and going nowhere. Show me something exciting like prayer and I'll find a way to make it boring. For me, it's the nightly intercessory prayers, so praying for other people that I start when I'm too tired to think in a straight line. It's the intercessory prayers on my way to work until that point in the commute when the worries of the work day force their way into my brain. Sometimes I'll start to pray. I'll think about a person, wonder how that person is doing, think about the next time we might be able to have them over for dinner at, when it's safe, then I'm thinking about food. And oh look, I wonder if that's a hawk. And then I turn on the radio. In prayer, I can get tired of my own thoughts, my own voice, the me, me, me of it all. It creates a lifeless, boring routine, a prayer rut that fails to take me into the ocean of God's presence. Sometimes it's more like a wading pool that I experience. Prayer habits are good, but sometimes prayer habits leave me looking at the ceiling with no motivation to get to know the creator of the universe who knows me better than anyone else and still loves me immeasurably. I wonder if you can relate. How's your prayer life? What words would you use to describe your time spent in the presence of God? Has God been nudging you to make a change? Maybe to give him your best hour, not just that one as you're about to fall asleep. What would God say to you in the secret place of the Most High? I was reading a Pew Research survey on prayer. A lot of Christians pray daily, which is awesome. Actually, a lot of people do. Americans, 55% say they pray daily, but other trends exist as well the more money people make, the frequency of their prayer life trends downward. Same thing with increased ed education. You can read that trend as a matter of trusting in money or success more than God, maybe see it through the lens of idolatry. And maybe that's true to an extent, but I, I wonder if busy people can struggle, struggle to adapt their prayer lives. Sometimes spiritual habits become cumbersome and get put on the back burner. Sometimes we fall into prayer ruts. Last year, the men's group, we read a book on prayer and a lot of people felt like their prayer lives needed a tune-up. I'm certainly not alone here. Now the Bible tells us relating to God shouldn't be more complicated than relating to a friend. The Bible tells us Abiding nurtures 
our relationship with God, abiding with God, dwelling with him, sitting and spending time with God, listening to God through scripture. It nurtures, it grows, it deepens our relationship, our friendship with God, our life before God. Abiding nurtures our relationship with God. The Bible also tells us that prayer supports every part of our lives. It is our fuel. So there's nothing more practical to talk about than our prayer lives. The Bible gives us the example of Peter. In our passage today, it's literally day number one of the story between Peter and Jesus. Or should I say Simon? He wasn't called Peter at the beginning of the story. This is where Simon meets Jesus. The first thing we see in this passage is that Simon, his brother, has been hanging out near John the Baptist. Simon's brother, Andrew, becomes one of the disciples. Um, so, does, so does Simon. But Andrew's introduced at the beginning as a disciple, not of Jesus, but of John the Baptist. Many of us know about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a first century prophet. He was a revivalist. He was announcing the nearness of God and telling people to repent and prepare their hearts. We know Andrew and possibly Simon they were part of a community that had developed the prayer habit of repenting, of saying sorry for their sin. We now see that Andrew has the habit of listening. God has revealed to John the Baptist that Jesus is the Messiah, the one whom God has promised. And Andrew is ready to follow the Messiah. His ears perk up when John identifies him. When John points him out, Andrew is drawn to Jesus like a magnet. He withdraws from one school and he matriculates in another. We read that Andrew follows Jesus. Jesus asks him, what do you want? What can I do for you? And Andrew says, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Andrew's suggesting he wants to be around Jesus. Staying is a word that comes up again and again in the Gospel of John. Meno, that's the word in Greek. The same verb Jesus uses when he says, abide in me, and my words abide in you. When Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches, the one abiding in me and I in him, that's the one producing much fruit. It's the same verb Jesus uses when he says, if you should love me, keep my commands. That word keep. It's a word about remaining, being, dwelling. And, and so how does Jesus respond? Jesus doesn't give him address, an address. He doesn't say, I'm staying so-and-so. He says, come and see. It's a, it's a light invitation, if you will. And Andrew literally spends all day with Jesus. In verse 39, we read, so they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour or four o'clock in the afternoon. It's getting late. Um, the first thing Andrew did when he left Jesus was he searched for his brother, Simon. For some reason, I imagine him running. I imagine him pulling up his tunic and, and running as fast as he can to tell Simon, rushing to Simon's house. The fact that he tells Simon suggests to me they probably worship together. Who knows? Simon might have been a disciple of John the Baptist as well. We at least know that Simon was a man who was waiting. Listen to what Andrew tells him in verse 41. He says, Simon, we have found the Messiah. 
And Peter, or Simon, excuse me, understands what that means. Simon has a messianic expectation. He's waiting for God's promise to come true, to send uh, Judea a hero. A few, nation, a few uh, generations have passed since Rome took over Judea in 63 BC. So this is before the turn of the century, before Jesus. Who knows, maybe uh, Simon's great-grandparents have passed on stories, uh, stories of freedom from when they lived before Rome occupied, time during the Maccabean kings. But we know in Jesus's day, people are praying and hoping for God to save the day, to bring them freedom again. They want the time of Rome's oppression and occupation to end. And so Simon actually has this expectation of a Messiah coming. So what, he, what does he do? He drops everything to see for himself. We know Simon had a mother-in-law. We know that from later in the gospel. So he was married. He could have had children. It was getting late around dinner time. But who cares? Dinner can wait. What can't wait is something you've been waiting for your whole life. So Simon goes with Andrew to Jesus. One glance and Jesus knows him. He says, Simon, you are Simon. You will be Cephas or Peter. Uh, Cephas is Aramaic. Peter is Greek. They both mean rock, rock, um, as in like a, a stone. Um, and you read this and you ask yourself, what kind of an introduction is this? Jesus does the exact same thing uh, to the skeptical Nathaniel later. And Nathaniel responds, how do you know me? I'm sure Peter was asking the same question. How do you know me? When Peter goes to Jesus, Jesus calls forth who he's going to be. When Jesus calls Peter rock, he's telling Peter who he will become. This doesn't mean Peter won't falter. We know from last week's sermon that Peter does. Peter has to repent because he uh, denies Jesus three times. And during the last scene in, Jesus, in John's gospel, Jesus actually draws on Peter's old identity, saying this three times, Simon, do you love me? He doesn't say, Peter, do you love me? He says, Simon, do you love me? To contrast his failure with what Christ has called him to be. He's called him to be Peter, sturdy, rock, unshakable, a pillar of the early church. When we come before God, he writes a new identity on us. He doesn't say you might become Peter. He says you will be Peter, and that's good news. What we see here is Peter's expectation, his readiness, his longing for God. It's all about relationship for Peter. Peter is excited about the coming reign of God, and he wants to be a part of it. It's the most exciting thing for him. And for Andrew, too, it's all about relationship. Mano, abiding, dwelling with, even listening to. These brothers model the way we approach God. It's about relationship. It's about spending time with God because abiding nurtures our relationship with God. Now, of course, this passage isn't about prayer, but it's a lesson that we can apply to prayer. For us, our habits aren't built around approaching Jesus in the flesh. We approach God through prayer, which is really communication, talking with God. And prayer can look a lot of different ways. I want you to think about your prayer life again. Think about the time you spend with God and ask yourself, am I abiding with God? Am I spending quality time 
that will deepen my friendship with God? Have I heard God speak a new identity into my life? Am I listening in such a way that I could actually hear him? Or am I doing all the talking? A prayer rut is not impossible to drive out of. I believe that our spiritual rhythms, our vertical habits, the ways we relate to God, our life roots, they need to be shaped practically by our work, our life stage, our personalities. And sometimes there's a clash that makes prayer difficult to sustain. For me as a seminarian, so a number of years ago when I was in seminary, it was possible for me to lean into the, the after lunch, early afternoon slump that I would feel and walk around Gordon Conwell's beautiful campus, appreciating nature and just contemplating God. Now I work in an ER. If I don't spend time with God before work, I'm likely to be too tired before to do it midday or when I get home. So what time or times of the day will help you to abide in God's presence? And is there a place for your daily quiet time or for your prayers throughout the day? Maybe your daily commute isn't the ideal place to pray. Maybe it's at the dining table before everyone else wakes up. Prayer is also going to be shaped by our life stage. Parents can sometimes struggle to adjust uh, to the around-the-clock demands of parenting. And maybe you've been a Christian a while. Maybe you're feeling the dryness in your relationship with God today. Relationships have seasons, including our relationship with God. If this describes you, you have a new opportunity to approach God, not to experience God in a honeymoon bliss, but out of a mature, established love and faithfulness. If you're struggling to pray or to organize your thoughts, stay on track, uh, using written prayers can actually help. Um, one that I, I was going to suggest is this one right here. I, I don't know if you can see it, but this is um, a Scottish pastor and theologian, John Bailey. Uh, it's a book called The Diary of Private Prayer. It has um, a morning and an evening prayer um, on one side of the page for every day of the month. And on the other side, it's blank and you can add people's names or you can add general subjects or world events or, or other things you might want to pray for. Praying with others also increases our awareness of God. So are you part of a small group? I lead the Peabody small group, and one of the biggest blessings for me is the way we sit together in God's word and then pray as a community. We share each other's burdens and lift up to God what we can't do on our own. From this passage, listening to God, sitting at his feet to hear him teach, uh, like Andrew, may mean praying with a Bible open, praying through a psalm. It might include uh, Bible, Bible, Bible meditation in your daily uh, prayer. It might also, listening might also mean silence prayer. Uh, as relationships grow, words are important, but not essential to every moment. Actually, silence can communicate safety and trusting love. Spending time with God is how we deepen our relationship with God, but we have to reevaluate our prayer habits throughout our lives. What, pr 
prayer patterns resonate with us is going to change depending on where we are. It's going to look different depending on our personality. There isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to prayer, but God wants to spend time with you. Is God drawing you to reimagine your prayer habits? Now, imagine what would happen if our community, if all of us turned to God to help us reimagine and examine our prayer ruts. What if we saw prayer as a way of bonding with God, not simply about getting something or having something answered, but about knowing and spending time with God? Imagine what would happen if the church gave God its best time of day in prayerful worship. Can you imagine the ways the Holy Spirit would use a church of Peters, willing to drop everything and go listen to Christ? I wonder if the Holy Spirit would evoke in each of us a response like Andrew or like Philip, where inviting others to come see this Jesus would be the most exciting and natural thing to do, almost like talking about the new restaurant in town or the latest on loosening restrictions. I wonder if a community abiding with God would challenge our discipleship, opening our eyes to the widening kingdom around us and inspiring us to participate more fully in our vocation as Christ's hands and feet in the world. This is the one thing I want you to take away. Christ invites us into an abiding relationship nurtured by prayer. I'll say that again. Christ invites us into an abiding relationship nurtured by prayer. So how are we going to respond? Would you pray with me? Um, Father, we, we don't get haves, tos, and musts when it comes to relationship with you. We get gets to and has the invitation to. Um, you invite us to come before you. Um, and truly, every moment spent in your presence is worth it. Um, we, we pray that you would help us to change our lives to reflect our priorities and our our desire to be with you. I pray that you would bring life to that desire and help us practically to spend time before you in prayer. We thank you and praise you in Christ Jesus. Amen.